Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. and welcome to The Literate Patient. So glad to have you with us wherever you are in the world today as we discuss the very important topic of breast cancer screening. And, um, you know, it's interesting because so much is changing in the world of screening. We're learning so much. As a matter of fact, just this past year, we passed a law. As a matter of fact, I think we were one of the first states to do this, to require uh, radiological facilities to let patients know when they are um, screened if they have dense breast tissue. And we're going to talk about the importance of that today and other things that are changing in the world of breast cancer screening. Very, very important. Um, if If you're a man listening to the show, please know that man can also get breast cancer. Um, it's a lot rare, obviously, but still you need to screen yourself and you need to know your body. Um, also, please relay this information to your wife, your girlfriend, your mother, your sister, your loved one. Thankfully, breast cancer is a topic that we talk about now on a daily basis. Um, thank goodness it's not like it was 40 or 50 years ago. Um, also, I want to let you know that on Monday, interestingly enough, how these shows went back to back on Cancer SOS, we're going to talk about prostate cancer screening. So uh, with my, my good friend, Mary Anderson, who is uh, very, very up to date on the topic of prostate cancer screening, and both breast cancer screening and prostate cancer screening, the last couple of years have been going through kind of a revolution, um, you know, So it's going to be interesting to have these two topics back to back. Uh, Without further ado, I'd like to introduce my co-host for The Literate Patient, Dr. Melissa Stewart, author of Practical Patient Literacy, The Medigogi Model. Welcome, Melissa. 
Are you there? Alyssa? I'm sorry. Thank you very much for having me. I was just talking away. Um. <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. I talk to myself all the time. So no, I'm I, the mute button, the darn mute button. I know all the time. I am. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm. I'm excited about hearing the information that our guest is going to share with us today. Absolutely. And again, it's so important. So I'm glad to cover this uh, important topic on the literate patient because, um, as I said, there's just so much changing in that world. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today, Dr. Jennifer Drucktinus, and she is in radio radio. Okay, I got the name now. I can't say radiology for some reason. It is Friday at H. Lee Moffitt Cancer Center. So welcome, Dr. Drotinus. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's awesome to have you. So tell us a little bit about what you do at in radiology at H. Lee Moffitt. So I'm a radiologist that specializes in um breast imaging. So I work um, very closely with the breast surgeons and the breast oncologists in terms of evaluating their patients um, who have been diagnosed with cancer or have had cancer in the past and following their mammograms, their MRIs, their ultrasounds. Um, I also work in our screening center. Um, Moffitt Cancer Center has a screening center and um, I read screening mammograms, um, both 2D and 3D mammograms, as well as ultrasounds and screening MRIs in normal risk patients as well as high risk patients. So any type of woman out there who needs some type of breast imaging, I take care of them. Excellent. Well, I know in years past, and uh, I, I realized that we've made great strides in this, but I, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because there have been discussions in years past about uh, not only if mammograms were effective in screening or as effective as, as they once we once thought they were in screening for breast cancer, um, and also, you know, how, who needs to have them and how often they need to have them. So let's talk a little bit about that. So, yes, there certainly has been a lot of controversy, particularly recently, about um, mammograms. And um, depending on what study you look at, um, there are certain studies that have, have limitations and not all studies are designed perfectly. So in my opinion, the studies that aren't designed perfectly may have some questions about the efficacy of mammography. But if you look at all the literature that's ever been done about mammography throughout the entire world, um, it really does show an, an about um, 24 to 30% reduction in mortality. And that's not just in the United States. That's if you look at all of the literature. Um, also, since mammograms have become widely available in the United States in the mid-1980s, we've seen a reduction in breast cancer-related mortality by about 33%. Um, and nothing else has changed. That, that um, mortality had not changed for 50 years until we introduced mammography. So it's certainly working in our country. If you look at the widespread literature throughout the entire world, it's working. Um, depending, I think that a lot of people like to ignite controversy in this area. So depending on what study comes out, of course the studies have limitations and that's what you may be hearing in the media. Um, but I think what this is showing is that um, mammograms are not perfect. But certainly you hear how it has reduced um, reduced sensitivity or reduced avail um, 
reduced ability to detect cancer in women with dense breasts or younger women. So we're trying to find new ways to improve that. Um, and one of those ways is 3D mammography um, as well as MRI and ultrasound. And I, I believe those are some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. So, you know, we know as well that things are changing as far as who should be screened. Obviously, as we uh, talk about gene mutations and and family history, um, there's a lot that's being uncovered in that area as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, In terms of who we recommend screening mammography for, it really is the gold standard. It's the only test that's been shown to reduce breast cancer-related mortality. So um, we recommend a screening mammogram, either 2D or 3D, annually in all women over the age of 40. And certainly if you have a first-degree relative that had breast cancer premenopausal or there's a gene mutation that's known within you or a first-degree relative, we recommend screening earlier, about 10 years earlier than that relative was diagnosed or at the age of 30 if you are someone who carries a gene mutation. Um, I thought, uh, Melissa, did you have a question? Yes, I was okay. just going to say something. Thank you for feeling that. Um, <laughs> I was, I was going to ask. You know, a, a, a controversial thing that's out there is if you are at risk for the mutation, um, then the reconstruction, the um, voluntary. Um, uh, I'm, I'm totally blanking. Having your uh, breast removed and reconstruct it, um, that how, how do you feel about that? I mean, what are you finding that's happening? Um, are they feeling that, that by voluntarily going ahead and having this, that it is actually helping to offset the onset of cancer for them? So I think what you're talking about is the BRCA mutation, which is the gene that yes. carries um, breast cancer-related mutation. Um, and if someone carries either a, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, as we call it, um, the, the chance of that person getting breast cancer in their lifetime is 80%. So it's a very, very high likelihood that that person will develop breast cancer at some point. Um, and so there's certainly women are becoming more aware of this. Women who have multiple breast cancers in their family are becoming tested for this. And yes, um, women do undergo prophylactic mastectomy with reconstruction sometimes um, in order to decrease their risk. And, and yes, it does absolutely decrease their risk of breast cancer. Um, of course, nothing is perfect. Um, there is still a very small risk that those people will have some residual breast tissue at the skin or in the very you know, far lateral portion of their breast that they could develop a cancer in, but it certainly drastically reduces their risk. Um, and what I've seen, what primarily happens is women who are going to have a family, they'd like to breastfeed, they often will just be screened more um, frequently. We often recommend annually with mammography and then every six months with MRI since they are high risk and a known gene carrier. And, um, and then often when they're done childbearing, those years are over for them. Many of those women do decide to do that. But of course, it's a very personal decision. Absolutely. And so knowing the risk, for one, the ones that do have it, what you said they were at risk for 80% possibly having the onset of cancer. Do they have any data out there to show um, of the ones that have the mastectomies, the voluntary mastectomies, um, what percentage would would you say that it brings it down to according to what the literature is saying? 
and I and I, I want to I actually want to add to that because you're exactly right, Melissa. Because you can actually get breast cancer. There's still tissue there, correct, Doctor Drugtinus? There is very very small amounts really at the skin, or just like I talked about, very laterally in the breast, and it's it's markedly decreased. I don't have a number off the top of my head, but. I would say pretty confidently less than 10% lifetime risk. That's significant. Um, That's 70% decrease. That's huge. Those are good odds. Of course, one of the considerations there would have to be as well, you know, there's much research going on. And, um, you know, perhaps... We'll know more, you know, as time progresses because we are getting better at that. And I think we're getting better at screening, aren't we? We're absolutely getting um, better at screening. Um, in 2011, um, we were FDA approved for tomosynthesis, which is 3D mammography, which we use for screening. And it's a very exciting technology for those of us that are involved um, in breast cancer prevention and treatment and um it's absolutely making revolutionizing the field in my opinion that's awesome uh, i do have a, another question you know my background being um patient literacy um there is a huge cultural um there's a huge cultural divide whenever it comes to doing your preventive breast screening um your minorities uh tend to not uh, do the screening or be as compliant with screening as um, your Caucasian population generally is. Um, could you uh, speak to that as well as is there a diversity in age populations also? Is there a diversity in age populations? I think that, um, you know, women in their 40s, um, since the USPSTF came out with guidelines in 2009 that recommended screening at the age of 50 or every two years, and I will add that they're the only um, guidelines out there that state that screening should begin at 50. So we did see um, initially a decrease in women in their 40s coming in to be screened. I think that, um, you know, women in their 50s and up, um, and there's really no age that we see screening end, and we have women in their 90s still coming in for their screening mammograms um, is pretty consistent. But, you know, when that happened in 2009, we did see somewhat of a decrease. And I think that women in their 40s um, may not be as diligent with coming in annually. In terms of, you know, socioeconomic diversity, um, I think that could just have something to do with availability and um, where are the screening centers located, how easy is the access for the patients. Um, and we, you know, we try to have um, community outreach days where we, um, you know, bring in patients from areas that are more underserved into Moffitt Cancer Center so they can be screened. So I think that there's certainly um, a push to reach out to these women because we are aware that they just don't have the access. Well, besides the access, do you feel that they actually have the understanding of the, of the risk and um, if they haven't experienced it in their family, you know, a lot of people don't feel like they're really at risk, so they don't take it as seriously. So do you feel like that has any impact on their um, seeking out the services? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, um, um, you know, once that affects a family member or a friend that's close to them, it makes them very aware and they're very, very diligent about coming in. But certainly if they haven't seen anyone affected by it, 
it's kind of like it's not going to affect me either, and it's not on their radar in terms of their priorities. Now, as far as the age difference, um, one thing that I've been hearing a lot lately is a lot of people a lot younger being diagnosed, like as in late 20s, early 30s. Any input as to what's going on with that? I mean, in terms of what is causing that, um, you know, of course, it's very poorly understood what causes breast cancer in anyone. Um, but yes, we do see young women, unfortunately, every week. We probably see two to three women that come through Moffitt Cancer Center in their early 30s that are, you know, recently diagnosed with breast cancer. And unfortunately, those tend to be the more aggressive cancers. The younger you are, the poor, the typically less well you do with breast cancer. So um, it certainly is happening, um, but I don't think the mechanism is very well understood. Now, being a radiologist, I know your tools that you're using, um, does that diagnose all breast cancers? So um, mammography certainly does not diagnose all breast cancers. Um, if you, you know, we talked about the fact that women with dense breasts are younger women. Um, mammography is not as efficacious in those women. If we screen a thousand women, we will pick up about four breast cancers. And the literature has shown that we miss about one breast cancer out of that 1,000 with screening mammography alone. Tomosynthesis wow. is certainly increasing that. Um, we are picking up more cancers with tomosynthesis. The data hasn't been around long enough to show a better reduction in mortality, but it shows that we are picking up about one additional cancer per 1,000 if we do the two, the mammography and tomosynthesis together. Um, and then, of course, if you add ultrasound, if, let's say you don't have tomosynthesis and you need to do 2D mammography plus ultrasound, that has been shown to pick up more cancers also. Um, although nothing is perfect, um, MRI is the best method we have for detecting cancer, um, and it's very, very sensitive. So, um, yes, we pick up more cancers with MRI also, but insurance companies don't pay for that in everyone. So, in essence, no test is perfect, but you know, they're getting better. So, Dr. Dirktinus, do you recommend that people pay attention to their body, do their self-checks, and then if they have a question, when the, uh, I've, I hear a lot of women say, you know, I went through the testing, it didn't show anything, for example, dense breast tissue, obviously a huge issue these days, um, but it, it came through, everything came through okay with my mammogram, but I just knew something else was wrong, and sure enough, you know, when they go uh, and press the issue, you know, they, they find out in a lot of cases that they, they were, did have something wrong. I think sometimes we know more in essence and we have to stand our ground and be empowered. And that's part of what this show is about. So when a woman gets that good report, but she still feels something wrong, should she take it to the next level? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. She should never um, take that report as everything's fine, even though I'm feeling a change or I'm feeling a lump or my skin's changing. If you see any change in your breast, see your doctor. Make sure you get in for an ultrasound or an exam or both. Um, and absolutely, mammograms are not perfect. So don't take that as a clean bill of health for a year. What is the hardest breast cancer to diagnose for y'all? 
Um, well, the two main types of breast cancer are um, invasive ductal and invasive lobular. And the invasive lobular carcinomas are more difficult to detect on mammography and ultrasound. About 20% of them have been shown to be what we call mammographically occult or you cannot see them on mammogram even in retrospect after they've been diagnosed. So there are certainly subtypes of breast cancer that, that make our job very difficult. Okay. And, you know, you've been using a lot of the uh, tools. You've been talking just using the uh, terminology for your tools. Could you possibly explain some of the different types of scans and stuff that y'all do, your actual diagnostic tools that you use so that people will know what you're talking about? Actually, hang on for just one minute, Dr. Dirktinus and and Melissa. We're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be come back because I have a feeling that's going to be a long conversation. So uh, so let's take that commercial break and then we'll be right back and discuss that. Awesome. Okay. Exercise your way to health, your way. With experts online who will design an effective wellness program based on physical condition and level of activity for less than the cost of an hour with a personal trainer. Use the discount code SOS1 for a 10% discount. ExerciseMD.ca. That's ExerciseMD.ca. Start getting healthier today. Thank you very much for uh, listening to that wonderful commercial, and thank you to my sponsors, Exercise MD. And by the way, you can also do exerciseMD.com, and uh, please go to iHeart Talk Radio to listen to last week's show, which was Dr. Henry Svack. If you want to learn more, uh, iHeart Talk Radio under Joni, J-O-N-I, Aldrich, A-L-D-R-I-C-A. Um, and we have with us Dr. Jennifer Dirktinus today, and we're talking uh, with H. Lee Moffitt Cancer Center. Um, Dr. Dirktinus is with the Department of Radiology, and we're talking about breast cancer screening. So, Melissa, pose your question again. <laughs> well, it's just, uh, you know, we are the literate patient, so I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands the different tools that are used by radiologists to actually help in their diagnostic processing of patients. So uh, if you would, please share with us the different tools that you use, the name of them, and what they do. And actually, what do you go through if you were a patient and you were going to have this type of test? And, and one other thing before before you answer that, Dr. Drictinus, um, also what kind of uh, breast cancer, because I know there are different types of breast cancer, so as you go through them, perhaps you could kind of give us some insights as to, you know, um, for example, triple negative breast cancer, you know, some of the ones that they may be effective at and not so effective at. Does that make sense? Um, sure, yes. Um, okay, so the, the the tool that everyone knows is the mammogram. Um, the mammogram is essentially a 2D image or just a flat image similar to an X-ray, and the breast is compressed in two different views. Um, and the reason that we need to compress it is so we can spread out some of that breast, dense breast tissue and kind of see through the breast with our X-ray beam, and we're looking for any masses, any abnormal calcifications, or any um, distortion within the breast, um, just an area that doesn't look quite right to us. 
Um, that's the very the very basic exam that we use, and um, it's used all over the world to screen women for breast cancer. It's the only test we talked about that's been shown to reduce breast cancer-related mortality, probably because it's been around for a long time. Um, and since 2011, um, we've improved upon that to have 3D mammography or what's called tomosynthesis. Um, both of those things are the same, 3D and tomosynthesis. And what that is is very similar. The breast is in compression, but the X-ray beam moves in an arc around your breast, and it shoots the beam at different levels, kind of slices through the breast, similar to if you're slicing a loaf of bread. Um, and what that allows for us to do as radiologists is to look at very, very thin slices through the breast, and it el eliminates some of that dense breast tissue that could mask some cancers. Um, so it makes our job easier. In essence, we can see through the breast instead of kind of looking through the cover of a book, we can look at every individual page. Um, so we're very excited about that, and that technology has been shown to increase cancer det invasive cancer detection rates by 40%. Um, in addition, we have ultrasound. Ultrasound's been along, around for a long time. Primarily, it was used traditionally as a diagnostic tool. So let's say we see a mass on the mammogram. You may be called in to look under ultrasound to see is that mass a cyst and nothing to worry about, or is that mass solid and something that we do need to be worried about. Um, there has been uh, more of a push to do screening breast ultrasounds, so not just targeted for that area that we saw on the mammogram, but actually scanning the whole breast, looking for cancers that we perhaps can't see um, on the mammogram. And since the density, the breast density legislation has happened, there has been more of a push to do this. Um, we also have breast MRI. And MRI is a very, very sensitive test. Essentially, you go into a magnet or an MRI scanner. You get an injection of contrast into your veins. You have to have an... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. IV in and the contrast goes in and we take multiple images of the breast. And what we're looking for is any areas of enhancement or areas that that contrast goes to. Um, and that's very, it's a very sensitive way for us to look for cancer, um, both invasive cancer and in situ cancer or DCIS. Um, in terms of um, what test is good for what type of cancer, so um, we talked briefly about the two types of invasive cancer. There's invasive lobular cancer and invasive ductal cancer. Invasive ductal cancer, um, we should be able to see on all of those modalities. It's, a, it's typically a mass. Um, it typically has margins that are irregular, and we can see it on everything. The ductal carcinoma in situ is typically manifest by calcifications, although some don't calcify, and those calcifications will show up just fine on a 2D mammogram, and that's often, you know, one of the things that we're looking for. You don't need a 3D mammogram for that. Calcifications typically show up great. Um, and then we talked about invasive lobular cancer, which is another type of invasive cancer, but that can be more difficult to diagnose on a mammogram or ultrasound. Not always, but about 20% of them can be difficult. And we can see those fairly well on MRI. 
And those are our major tools that we use on an everyday basis. Very helpful. Absolutely. And, you know, do, do most facilities have 3D now? I would not say that most facilities have 3D. If you look, because I know at it's the, only been out like what a couple of years. A couple of years since 2011, it's been mm-hmm. FDA approved. Um, in terms of, I know like of the top 20 cancer centers in the country, about half of them have tomosynthesis. So um, it's not widely available, but in Florida, there are certainly many, many places that we have it. Um, and in every state, there you know, will likely be a place that does have tomosynthesis. It may not be available in your city, but if you look for it, you could find it. And I know if they, if they don't have 3D, uh, isn't the most 2D digital now? Most 2D is digital, yes. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit, it's definitely better than the old school. Um, now, I have one other question, actually, while I'm thinking about it. Does this also depend on the person who's reading the mammogram? You certainly want to, um, I mean, there's variability. Some some radiologists have done additional training in breast imaging, and some radiologists read a ton of mammograms. And the studies have shown that the more mammograms you read per year, the better you are at detecting cancers. Um, um, so you, you want to make sure that you go to an American College of Radiology accredited facility. Um, in my opinion, digital is better. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what else to say about that. There's always variability in what position you see or what radiologist you see, but those are the two things I would recommend when going for your mammogram. And well, how is reimbursement? Uh, how does that impact what physician you see and what tests you have? Are, are the tests, I mean, are they pretty flexible with, um, you know, the physicians, um, whatever y'all determine is needed to diagnose? I mean, typically if you come into me and, you know, I, you're screening mammogram and then I come see you for a diagnostic because I see something and then I recommend an MRI, typically if you, you know, have insurance um, and I recommend that you get an MRI, it's, it's paid for. If your physician recommends that you need an MRI, it's typically paid for, the radiologist. Um, if you're internist thinks you need an MRI, it's a little more difficult and the radiologist doesn't recommend it because typically they want to see that you have a certain lifetime risk of developing breast cancer. Most of those insurance companies want you to have about a 20% lifetime risk to be considered high risk to be screened with MRIs. So certainly if you're interested in MRI, you think you're high risk, something to talk to your doctor about and um, see if you might qualify for being reimbursed for an MRI. So define what you mean by lifetime risk so that everybody will know what you're talking about. So lifetime risk, um, typically it's based on risk prediction models. So a very famous model that a lot of people use is called the Gale model. And you can actually go to the um, American Cancer Society website and there will be a link to the Gale model. And you can actually calculate your own risk. And what that's, um, they take multiple factors you know, into that. A lot of it is, have you had a biopsy before? Did you have any atypia on that biopsy? Do you have a first-degree relative? So there are multiple factors that go into your lifetime risk, and it's typically calculated on some type of risk prediction model. So to be considered high risk, you'd probably have to go into one of those, have your clinician do that, and then um, 
go ahead and order the, the additional testing. Very interesting. Good now, uh, I want to I mention one other thing, too. I know that one of the things that can be helpful is, for example, for ever since I started getting mammograms, um, as long as it's a good qualified facility and you can feel confident about it, isn't it good to stay with that facility because they have your last test, they have, they, they have the ability to look at prior screenings? I know that's important in some cases. It's, it's extremely important. I think the best tool we have as a radiologist are the prior exams, and we can know what your mammogram has looked at like over the past five years. That's the best way to detect a small change that could mean that something bad is going on, and it's also the best way to reduce us calling a patient back for something that could have been there for 10 years. Um, so any prior mammograms you have, it's extremely important to have those at the facility. So if you're at a good facility, you know, you're happy with it, stay there. It's, you know, it certainly those priors make a difference in how your radiologist reads your mammogram. And let's say you do need to move out of state and switch facilities, make sure you get those images, um, digital images on a disc and bring them with you so your next radiologist can have them to compare. Because basically what that's going to do is give them a benchmark. Absolutely, absolutely. And so obviously that can also let them know things that were noted, uh, you know, in the last test and what have you. And that holds true for ultrasound as well, correct? It does, yes. Any And MRI, any, any images that you've had in the past, make sure that you have them available for the radiologist who is um, taking a look at you now. Now, one thing that I get asked about a lot, and don't get me wrong, <laughs> I'm probably going to get an emotional response to this in some form or fashion because it seems to be almost like a battle between the people that believe in thermography and believe in mammography. So maybe you could explain to us the difference between the two of those tests. So I'm not an expert in thermography because um, it's not something that we do at Moffitt Cancer Center or that we're trained in as radiologists. Um, but uh, thermography is basically um, looking at the different um, levels of heat within the breast, and it, sort of, it maps it in somewhat of a color plot. So they're looking for differentials in heat, um, the thought that cancers are going to be more metabolically active in a slightly higher temperature um, and mammograms, you know, like we talked about, those are looking for very subtle areas of calcifications or distortion or masses on the mammogram. Um, so, again, I um, am a firm believer in mammography. Um, I don't know the literature on thermography, and, and radiologists in general do not interpret thermography or are trained in it. And basically, you know, I'll be honest with you, I had one several years ago, and uh, it was so indecisive uh it's supposed to find hot spots you know basically in your breast and and i think that we can all have those and maybe that's part of the reason that um i did not feel that it was particularly effective although when i took it in for my next mammogram i took the results and they did do some extra screening to follow up on it so obviously you know it is something that in some ways is taken seriously but you know uh, it is something that um, insurance doesn't cover, 
And so it would certainly be subjective as to whether or not you believe that there's, there's, there's no radiation, so there's no harm in doing it per se if you want to do it. But uh, there is a lot of uh, controversy between the uh, thermography and the radiology. But I'll be honest with you. I, I really, really believe that mammograms are something that women should have, that you should arm yourself with as much knowledge about your breasts as you can possibly have um, because uh, obviously the sooner that you find the problem the better off you are and with that um, actually we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with Dr. Jennifer Drugtinus from H. Lee Muffet Cancer Center the radiology department you can be amazing Turn a phrase into a weapon or a drug You can be the outcast and be the backlash Of somebody's lack of love Or you can start speaking up Nothing's gonna hurt you the way the words do When they settle need your skin Kept on the inside and no sunlight Sometimes a shadow wins But I wonder what would happen if you say you wanna say 
the Literate Patient today, and we're talking about breast cancer screening. This is something that has changed through the years and I'm sure will continue to change. As we get more involved, we learn more about genetics. We learn more about risk factors. We learn more about screening, what is working, what isn't working. The big thing right now, and if you want to learn more about this, actually I can give you a website for that as well, is uh, if you are told that you have dense breast tissue or you want to learn more because it is not passed in a law in every state. North Carolina did pass it this year. But if you want to know more about that, go to you can go to a website called R-U-Dense, D-E-N-S-E, and that website is great for answering some questions that you may have about breast density. Um, so, you know, as we learn more about these things, as we learn more about family history and what's involved in it, uh, you know, some of the uh, other genetic mutations and what have you, you know, please, you know, stay in tune with this. As women, we know that there is a high likelihood in our lifetime of getting breast cancer, and we've talked about it today. Here it is again. Whether you are, um, whether you're black or white or Asian or whatever, if you're a woman, you need to be aware of your breast health. I had a scare last year, and I'm going to share this with you right now. Um, I knew that there was something going on. And I wasn't getting the answers that I felt were good. It cost me roughly $1,000 because I'm self-insured every time I go in to get a mammogram. And they're telling me to do that every six months. And yet all my mammograms were showing nothing. Um, thankfully, uh, there's a, a company called Sonosine that now has automated whole breath breast ultrasound. Uh, they actually flew me to St. Louis, Missouri, to St. Luke's Hospital, where I had my automated whole breast ultrasound. They did find two small papillomas. If you have one papilloma, not so serious. If you have two, it's a little different. So they did a needle core biopsy. We're going to talk about the, these different options in a minute. Um, they did find some sus- suspicious cells very early in the process because, again, I was listening to my body. And then when I got home, I had a surgical biopsy to make sure there were no other cells there. There may have been further action that was necessary had there been other cells. Thank God there wasn't. But now I can rest assured that I've done something for myself, that I prevented myself having breast cancer in, say, two to five to seven years. So know your breast. Know what you're feeling and in, as we were talking about earlier, this may be the biggest message of the day. Even if your mammogram comes back good, you know, sometimes I think we're looking for that good news. We want that good news to come in. So when, when it comes in, we say, well, I still feel something, but that's okay. I, everything's good, and we go on with our lives. My good friend Chiquita Jamison did that, and two years later, she found out she'd had breast cancer all the time because she had dense breasts. Listen to your body. So and advocate yeah. for self, like we always and advocate, say. <laughs> you know self yourself. better than anybody else does. And you know, I think back, Melissa, to uh, a saying that uh, the president of the company I used to work for always said: "If it looks like a skunk and it smells like a skunk, it may be a skunk." 
Absolutely. So so make sure that you pay attention. So today we have with us, and I've taken a little bit of time here, and I apologize for that, but I thought that was a really important message, Uh, Dr. Jennifer Drucktinus, who is from H. Lee Moffitt Cancer Center, the the Department of Radiology. And thank you again for being with us today, Dr. Drucktinus. Let's talk a little bit about um, used to be, when you went for your mammogram, if they found something, or at least when I went for mine, um, they would go ahead and, and go right then and maybe send you to ultrasound. They don't do that anymore, I don't think. Um, it depends on what screening facility you go to, but the majority, overwhelming majority of screening facilities, you go in, you get your screening mammogram, and then you leave, and it's reviewed by a radiologist at a later time. Um, typically, you know, 24 to 48 hours. And they, um, if they detect some type of abnormality that needs further evaluation, uh, you'll get a letter or a call asking you to come back for additional imaging. And that additional imaging, um, most of the time, um, out of, let's say we do a 1,000 screening mammograms, we call back about 100 of those patients. So about 10% of women get called back. And of those 100 women, only about 20 um, are recommended for biopsy. So 80% of the time, it's absolutely nothing. You get that letter in the mail, you have to come back. They have to press out an area more on your mammogram or do an ultrasound to make sure that everything's okay. It's just a cyst. Um, So 80% of the time, it's fine. You don't need a biopsy. 20% of those women do need biopsies. And um, there are different ways that we biopsy, which we can talk about. Um, But of those... um, 20% of women who have biopsies um, or 20 women out of 1,000, about four have um, cancer. So even if you are recommended for a biopsy, 80% of those biopsies are benign. So when you start with a mammogram... I know we've been talking about women. Um, I I want you to also mention, uh, how about men? Have you had any men out of those? Um, Well, typically um, men are not typically screened for breast cancer unless they have some type of, you know, gene mutation or they have a first degree, multiple first degree relatives or a first degree relative. Um, so a lot of times the way we find a male breast cancer is that they, they feel, feel it or they palpate it because um, they have less breast tissue. It's, it's easier to feel things along the chest wall. So they'll come in for their mammogram because they're feeling something often. So men in general aren't screened. And let's say they did have a history of gene mutation. That would fall under what we call the diagnostic mammography category. So they'd come in and we would read their mammogram in real time. And, and so I, I want to press that point a little bit there. So if you have uh, female and male siblings in a family and you find out there is an incidence of BRCA uh, or any of the other gen- genetic uh, predispositions to having uh, breast cancer, you still would should check or at least do self-checks. Absolutely. You should always um, know your body and when something changes that, you know, you you detect, absolutely bring it to your physician's um, attention. And basically, so, um, and, and actually now we're running out of time. Uh, so, you know, a normal uh, type of biopsy would be one very similar similar to what I had, uh, the first one I had anyway, which was a needle core biopsy. Right. So needle core biopsies, um, we can do them under 
multiple modalities. So we can do them with ultrasound to guide us. We can do it with a mammogram machine to guide us. That's called a stereotactic biopsy. Or we can do it with an MRI um, scanner to guide us. And um, that is actually a fairly simple procedure. Um, I often describe it to my patients like going to the dentist. Um, typically, only local anesthesia is needed, so lidocaine in essence. The lidocaine stings and burns, and then once that, that burning sensation goes away, they don't feel the rest of the procedure. We take very, very tiny tissues, tissue samples and send it to the pathologist to make a diagnosis. Um, so it, it's really, um, it takes about an hour in total. A lot of women drive themselves to the procedure and drive themselves home. Um, it's very minimally invasive procedure. And I don't recommend that you have it and fly 800 miles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was painful, just saying. Uh, and then, uh, again, this is kind of going to have to be the last word, uh, but uh, the, the other option would be, in some cases, seeing a surgeon and having a, a surgical biopsy. Right. We kind of use that as a last resort if we mm-hmm. can't target it in any of our ways to, because it's always nice to know what that is before the surgeon goes in to take a surgical biopsy. Sometimes you get a, like in your instance, you had a needle core biopsy and they needed more tissue to make sure there was nothing else there. And that, that's often when patients go for what's called a surgical biopsy. And even that, and I'll say this, it's, a, it, again, an outpatient procedure. Uh, it was not difficult. As a matter of fact, because of those 800 miles of flying, perhaps, <laughs> I think the surgical biopsy was actually easier. So, unfortunately, that has to be our last word today. So, if you want to find more about the radiology department at Moffitt Cancer Center, it is www.moff. ITT.org. And I want to thank Dr. Jennifer Drectinus. I know I was going to do it at some point today uh, for being our guest today. Thank you so much. You've been a fount of information. Yes. Thank you for having me. And uh, we would uh, definitely love it sometime in the future, perhaps uh, two, three months. Maybe we'll talk again. I would love to do that because this is this is so important. Again, the likelihood of a woman. What's the what's the number now? One in seven, one in six. Oh, um, it's about one in eight women is what they quote that will will um, be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Yeah, very, very frightening. So thank you again for being with us. And uh, Dr. Melissa Stewart, as always, uh, next week we will be having a a pre-record because I'll be uh, at the National Women's Survivors Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, so, Melissa, you get the week off next week. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, don't go on vacation because I think your boss still wants you there. Absolutely. uh, This is Joni Aldrich. Uh, Now, my other shows next week uh, will be on at 2 p.m., so don't don't go off somewhere. I want to remind everybody of the Prostate Cancer Show, Cancer SOS, Monday at 2 p.m., a very, very important show. And this is Joni Aldrich, J-O-N-I-A-L-D-R-I-C-H.com. Have a great day. 